Thank you, church. I was just sharing with a big room of new and prospective church members, new members up there at Life at Grace. It's good to see them. And uh, I was sharing earlier, as Pastor Jeff just opened his heart, how overwhelming it was for us this morning. I saw my beautiful wife, as always, singing over here with our altos, and then I looked to this side, and Heather, our oldest, is playing piano, and then behind her, Holly was singing in the choir, and I knew in the first hour, uh, Hannah and Bobby, our two youngest, are back there, one serving two-year-olds, one serving three-year-olds. You know, you might ask, how do you get a 15-year-old boy to, uh, to serve three-year-olds? You just put a girl he likes in the same room, <laughs> another teenager. Uh, <laughs> Pretty, pretty easy. No, but they've always done that. My kids, since the time they gave their lives to Jesus, whether it's through music or just simple service, they've always plugged in. And then I think, you know, Lord, you have uh, Miss Lucy here now and, and Parker. Even our son-in-law, it's pretty good to have him sometimes. That's good too, you know. It's just, no, it's a blessing. It's a huge blessing when you have your family and they're plugged into your church and plugged into ministry and we're all in it together. And um, you thank the Lord for that. You do, you really do. And, and I want you to turn this morning, this week and next are very special. They're one-off messages. Next week we're going to have Lord's Supper together. If you're out there watching, by the way, and you can't be here in person, I would encourage you next week, I should have said this first hour, we'll try to put out a reminder, um, get the elements for communion together, whatever that works for you, okay? It can be some juice and crackers or whatever you want to do, but get some uh, bread and, and get ready next week. We're going to give you a very cool, brand new sanitized version of communion elements and they'll be a lot easier to open than the last ones but we'll do it that way next week and uh, it's gonna be a very special time for us and and it's sort of a theme similar to what we're talking about today today we're talking about praise through problems and you're gonna find Habakkuk you might want to start now it might take a minute if you need help that's after Nahum and before Zephaniah did that did that help you out okay a good afternoon. It's in the Bible, I promise. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Um, I, love it. I love this book. In fact, I would say of all the Old Testament minor prophet books, minor only because it's short, not because it's not important. Of all the minor prophet Old Testament books, it may be the most in line with where we are as a nation and a people today because the people had been living in sin and the prophet was saying, Lord, how long are you going to put up with this stuff? But we'll come back to that. I would simply say as you're finding Habakkuk chapter 3, I know there are some differences between us today, okay? You may not all have four children and a grandbaby and all of that. You may have a lot more, a lot less. You may be single, younger, older. But while we have differences, there are a lot of things you and I share. Even if I don't know you personally, there are things I know we share. You and I are both made in the image of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God loves all of us unconditionally, and Jesus died for us all sacrificially. We will all spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And I know this, if you've lived long enough, we all have problems. Even for a newborn, the problem is I need to go to sleep, or I'm hot, or I'm cold, or I need to be changed, or I need to eat. We all have problems. I've always been curious, though, why it is some people are paralyzed by their problems when others gain strength from the struggle. Have you ever stopped and thanked God for the problems in your life? Thanked God for the challenges you face? See, God has a word for us today about problems, whether seemingly insignificant or insurmountable. We have this guy named Habakkuk. Habakkuk's name in Hebrew means one who embraces or clings, one who clings. 
Habakkuk would learn to cling to God even when his people were about to be wiped out. Not completely destroyed, but many, many would die. Many would face the hardest season of their life. And so, what's going on here? Well, the southern kingdom called Judah has been in continuous rebellion against God. So these are Jewish people that have continued. God says, go left, they go right. God says, go north, they go south. God says, do this, and they do that. So they had continually abandoned the God who called them. And so he knows that punishment is coming, that God is going to use, you've heard of them, the Babylonians, to come in and punish his own people to try to turn them around and bring them back. And so let me break down this tiny little book in three parts. It's a great book. One day I'll preach the whole thing. But chapter one, the prophet's wondering, God, how long will you put up with this sinful people around here? How long will you allow this world of violence and injustice and strife and contention, how long will you allow it to continue? Chapter two, he goes from wondering to watching and waiting. He says, okay, I've put it before the Lord. I've asked the question. I trust that God will answer me. Chapter 3, he has another shift. He's no longer wondering. He's no longer watching and waiting. Now he's worshiping. He says, Lord, you've told me what's coming. He was a prophet after all. God revealed to him a wicked nation is going to come in and basically wipe across the land. A lot of people are going to die. It's going to be a dark day. But instead of worrying, now the prophet is worshiping. He says, God, I'm going to trust you even in this. So I wrote this statement down. I actually wrote this many years ago. I've been holding this to share with you because I felt like now was the time. I felt like with what's going on in our country, what's going on in our world, the fatigue that has set into all of us from the last year and a half of a global pandemic, vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask, what about a booster, what about this, what about this mandate or that, there's just this fatigue not only that, but life is still happening. Cancer's still going on. People are still having financial strain and divorce and struggle. But Habakkuk learned to trust God's wisdom even when he didn't understand God's ways. And what I'm putting out before you today is could it be that the Lord wants us to trust his wisdom even when we don't understand his ways? See, there are just times, you've, you've heard, you, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. There are just times when we need to slow down. Instead of just saying, well, it's their fault, and it's their fault, and this came from that, we just slow down and say, God, I am, I am a Christ follower, and I'm going to trust you even when I don't understand why you're allowing some of this to happen. Let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Let me read the last three verses. This is a little song, a little hymn that Habakkuk writes, and I know that because the last line is actually in the original language in the Hebrew, and so look at what he says here, this little song he wants people to remember. You write a song when you want people to remember it, right? And so he says this, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You see the praise here, the praise through the problems. Yet the Lord God is my strength. 
He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me to walk on my high heels. And then in the original text, to the chief musician with stringed instruments. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, many, many generations ago through the pen of Habakkuk, you penned this little song to end this little book. And I believe you wanted it to be a song played on the stringed instrument so that people would remember that generations following this Babylonian invasion, many would remember that, God, you were faithful, even though the people would be judged, even though punishment would come as a result of open rebellion and sin, you would prove faithful. You always kept a remnant of those true worshipers. And I pray today in our land... As sometimes we as Christians look around and wonder, how can there be so much injustice, contention, strife, cancel culture, fear, uncertainty? Help us, Lord, to go from worry to worship, to quit looking so much at the problems and look to you with praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So if I could offer you guys today just some some words of encouragement. I've also given you in your cross-references, I really hope you pick up the grace notes every week for two things. Number one, if you like to take notes, it's there. Number two, if you don't really want to write it down, if many of you use the app, you can always flip it over and it's got some key things coming up, okay? It's got key, key information. But at the bottom of those, every single week, I spend a lot of time when I do my outlines giving you every single cross-reference I've mentioned from the text. So make sure you pay attention because I'm going to reference a lot of things at the end today and every verse will be there in front of you. So let me give you the first truth I see out of verse 17 here. First, God helps us to see the reality of our problems. That's important for you to understand that God is opening the prophet's eyes to really see what's going on, okay? There's a Chaldean army from Babylonia. Those words, Chaldeans, Babylonians, are sometimes used interchangeably. There was nuanced meaning in that, but I won't unpack it today. Just understand this. The Chaldean army from Babylonia is a wicked, nasty, brutal group. They do not love God at all. But God taps them in order to use them to bring about the consequences of his own people's sin. Because as a loving father, he can't let sin go unchecked. And so he's going to use them to come in and attack, and severe famine and all that goes with that is a common consequence of war. So Habakkuk uses language and images very vivid for his day. Let's look at it, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom. Do you know figs were a major source of food, cakes of fig? He said there's no fruit on the vines. Well, what was their major source of drink? Wine. Now, I've heard Bible guys try to get away with saying it wasn't even fermented. Not true. The fermentation was different a little bit, but it was fermented to kill the bacteria. Fermented wine, and so you had the grapes used to make their major source of drink. You had the figs gone. What does it mean, though, that the labor of the olive may fail? Well, if any of you have traveled to this area of the world, particularly what we would call today the Holy Land, southern Israel, or what was called Judah, you know that olive trees were huge industry and are still huge industry. You used olives for tons of things, oil in cooking, oil in lamps, grooming hair and skin, religious rites and rituals. Olives had so many uses, not to mention food. And then he says there's no harvest, no sheep, No animals in the stall. I mean, he goes on in verse 17 to make it super dark. 
It's economic ruin and utter disaster. It would make the crash of 29 in our nation look like child's play. These things would lead to famine and malnourishment and ultimately death. I mean, it's as dismal as it can be. I want to give it to you in 2021 language. You ready? If I were to rewrite verse 17, although there's a collapse in the economy, panic in the banks, money's devalued and worthless, jobs are lost, grocery stores are closed, our refrigerators are empty and pantries are barren, savings, investments, property values are lost, businesses are eaten up and dissolved, although we're left without a penny and our possessions and cars and our clothes are all gone, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet. So there's this huge shift. What is Habakkuk saying? He's saying we live in a fallen world Sin has changed everything. He says, God, I've come to the place of maturity to recognize that because my people have been sinful, that we're about to suffer. We're going to suffer for this because sin has brought sickness and suffering. Now listen, there's a lot of debate. Where did COVID come from? Was COVID in a Wuhan lab? Was it manufactured? Who had something to do with it? Was Fauci's hand involved? Who did this and why did they do that? Listen, let me tell you where COVID came from. COVID came from sin. Sin has brought sickness and suffering and disease and death and hardship and heartache and broken homes and battered lives and disobedient children and discouraged parents and shocking disasters and shattered dreams and troubled relationships and tragic decisions. Sin is at the root of this world groaning for redemption, groaning for salvation, groaning for restoration, because sin will take you farther than you ever thought you'd stray. And sin will leave you so lost you think you'll never find your way. And sin will keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And sin will cost you more than you ever thought you'd pay. Sin is at the root, and Habakkuk has learned the people have been disobedient. There's a consequence that we're about to pay, sin. You see, we got to remember that the Lord never promised we, as God's people, would be exempt from the tragedies of life. But he did promise he would be with us through the storm. I read a story about a house that caught fire and a young boy was forced to flee out on through his window onto the landing of the roof. The fire had so consumed the bottom level that there was no way his dad could get back in to rescue him. And so his father sees his son now with flames lapping outside of the window and the daddy goes down and it's not terribly high, but he begins to yell, jump, son, jump and I'll catch you. And the little boy is scared because it's so loud behind him and it's so hot and there's so much smoke. And he says, Dad, Dad, where are you? And the dad says, Son, I'm right here. Just jump and I'll catch you. And the little boy with all of the smoke in his eyes and all the flame lapping up behind him said, But Dad, I don't see you, Dad. I don't see you. And the father said, But son, I see you. And that's all that matters. And that's exactly what you and I need to remember today as we are challenged in the face of the blackness of sin and suffering. There are times when by our own sin or by the sin of others, we feel like we're in the hothouse. We are engulfed and everything around us is burning up. And we cry out, oh God, where are you in this? I don't see you, Father. I don't feel you, Father. And the Father is standing there saying, but son, daughter, I see you. And that's all that matters. You see, we're sort of waiting 
and saying, God, where are you? And God's the one saying, I've never moved. I'm right here. I'm everywhere. If you're facing a dark time in your life, or if someone you love is facing discouragement and problem right now, I would assure you on the authority of God's holy word that the Father has not left you. He has not forsaken you. The blackness of sin or the smoke of circumstance may obscure your view, but you can trust that God's right there. Could you ask yourself today, could God be trying to teach me something through my trial? Could the Lord be showing me something? I love this quote from Reverend William Secker. He was a British clergyman many years ago. Let me show you a few things. If Joseph had not been Egypt's prisoner, he would never have been Egypt's governor. The iron chains about his feet ushered in the golden chains about his neck. Think about that. Joseph got where he was through the storm. I love this African proverb, smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. It's very true. How about this? Do you agree or disagree? The Puritan writer Thomas Watson said, a sick bed often teaches more than a sermon. Agree? I do. Man, when you're at the bottom of the barrel and when you have nowhere to look but up, you have a choice. You can shake your fist in anger against God or you can Habakkuk, you can cling to the Lord. And you can say, God, I'm just not going to let go. I'm going to trust you, Lord. No matter what happens, I'm going to believe that you know best. I love what Pastor Brian says. Pastor Brian regularly prays, there's no problem that a million years can't solve. When you think about that prayer, it's a beautiful, insightful prayer that says, our God is in this thing for eternity. You were created as eternal beings. You will be one of two places a million years from now. And your problems today, long forgotten. Because God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Finally, I want you to remember the ABCs of spiritual growth. Adversity builds character. You say, well, why do you say that? I know it because adversity builds Christ-likeness. Think about that for a second. You are never more like Jesus than when you're suffering, but you're still trusting your Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You are never more like Christ than when you are going through the storm and saying, God, I trust you. Next week, we're going to look at a story in the Bible about an actual storm and how that the Lord responded, how the people around him responded. We're going to spend some time in that narrative. It'll be a very familiar story, but I hope you'll see it with fresh eyes. God helps us to see the reality of our problems. Sin has touched everyone and everything. Your sin or the sin of others will create suffering in your life. Secondly, God enables us to rejoice through our problems. Now, a lot of modern preaching is saying if you have enough faith, God will just take all the problems away. That is absolute hogwash. Not true. It wasn't true for Jesus. It wasn't true for Habakkuk. It wasn't true for Paul. It certainly wasn't true for Job. God doesn't always take away the problem, but God gives you the resources to get through it and helps you rejoice in the process. How in the world does Habakkuk say, everything's collapsing, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy, using joy as a verb there, I will joy. In other words, I will choose to be joyful in the God of my salvation. In the God of my salvation, I believe the key to that whole section has to do with the final word, the God of his salvation. The Hebrew word 
comes from the same root word we get the name Yahshua. You've heard that name, Joshua. In the New Testament, we have the name Joshua as well. But the Hebrews no longer pronounce the same way. Now the name is, we, we would Anglicanize it, we would, we would make it English sounding, and it would become, Yeshua becomes Jesus. And so Habakkuk, many hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus Christ would come to this earth, says God is a God who delivers us. In other words, I'm going to be joyful, I'm going to praise the Lord because he is my savior, deliverer, defender, stronghold, fortress, liberator, rescuer, victor. The same God who brings judgment brings deliverance. And he's going to see me through these trials personally, and he'll see the nation of Judah through the crisis until God's will is fulfilled. So, God enables Habakkuk to rejoice and maintain joy in the midst of the storm. God is a God of my salvation. In other words, if I'm a Christian, I know that Jesus died for my sins, was buried and raised the third day, ministered on the earth some 40 days, was taken to the right hand of God the Father where he mediates now. And if I put my faith in him, then he not only walks with me through the storms down here, but he will forever be with me there. And we will enjoy eternity with one another and all who have said yes to Christ. And so he is the God of my salvation. Too often we try to buy joy. Think about it. New car. Smells good for a while. Makes you happy for a while. New truck. Really makes me happy for a while. Haven't had one in a long, long, long time, but it really makes me happy. Until the first scratch. Ding, dent. Until I get mud way up in the well and it's no longer pretty and shiny. And then those that are seeking joy in those things, you got to get the next one and the next one and the next one. Or whatever it may be for you. Shoes or whatever it is, that's not my thing. But if that's your thing, have at it, I guess. Look, we know joy, we know contentment's not found in possessions, not even found in circumstances. Real joy is available to all of us, even those stripped of every material possession, because joy is in a person. Joy comes through an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. And even those of us in the worst of circumstances can rejoice. When your world is falling apart, you can rejoice because of Jesus and the fact that he has saved you. Or if you've never said yes, he can save you today. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Listen. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Have you thanked God for everything? Well, I didn't get a parking spot up close in church today, but thank you, God, that I could drive myself to church and be in the house of the Lord. Well, I can't stand that person standing behind me that sings off key. Don't turn around. Thank you, Lord, that I can hear today. Well, I, 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 I can't thank God for taxes, and I can't thank God for all that crazy. Thank God you have an income so you can pay some taxes. I mean, I could keep going if you want me to. Have you been thankful to the Lord in everything? That is his will for you. But, Pastor, you don't get it. How can I rejoice? My problems are so overwhelming. I'm never going to make it through. Well, learn a lesson from Kermit. 
Two frogs fell into a deep cream bowl. The one was wise and a cheery soul. The other one took a gloomy view and bade his friend a sad adieu. Said the other frog with a merry grin, I can't get out, but I won't give in. I'll swim around till my strength is spent, and then I'll die the more content. And as he swam, though ever it seemed, his swimming began to churn the cream, until on top of pure butter he stopped, and out of the bowl he quickly hopped. The moral you ask, oh, easily found. If you can't get out, keep swimming around. See, the thing is, some of us get so whiny, and God's about to bring deliverance, but we just stopped swimming. Y'all remember Dory had a great theological statement in Finding Nemo? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. I mean, y'all know that? I had to remind Frank. He said he actually watched that with his grandkids one time. Just keep swimming. See, the, the people of God would have missed the mighty miracle of Jericho if they stopped on lap six. You had to go seven because God said go seven. And you say, I don't know how many laps I have to go. I don't know how many laps you have to go. But I can tell you this, your race is not finished until God calls you. So keep going. Keep running. Keep swimming. Keep moving. Many years ago, a young, Mid a young Midwestern lawyer suffered such deep depression, friends and family thought it wise to keep all knives and razors from him. During that time, this lawyer wrote, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. Now, he was wrong. He did get better. He got through his depression. He recovered and became one of America's most beloved presidents, Abraham Lincoln. For a while, it didn't look like Lincoln would even allow himself to continue living. I'm glad he did. Can you praise God through your problems? I give you this final short point. God helps us to see the reality of our problems and enables us to rejoice through our problems. But don't you know he gives us the resources to overcome all our problems? To overcome. The Lord God is my strength, he says in verse 19. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high heels. Do you know what Habakkuk is doing here? Guys, listen. He's just quoting from other parts of the Bible. He's stringing together other scripture that's already been written that he would have known. He's quoting from Exodus 15 too. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I believe he's probably hinting at some of Isaiah here that those of us who hope in the Lord or trust in the Lord or wait in the Lord will renew our strength, that God strengthens us. I, and now it had not been written, but I think he knows that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Christ is salvation. Christ is the God of salvation. And so he kind of knows that God's got this. And God doesn't just want his children to cope with their problems, but overcome. You see, now listen, in this case, God doesn't move the mountain. But he says, I'm going to make you like the deer to go over the mountain. Too much preaching is about God moving the mountain. God is more than capable. The faith of a mustard seed is more than capable of moving the mountain. But sometimes God says, you got to climb the mountain and go over the mountain because I'm training you for something greater. you got to learn that I'm not always going to make your way smooth and straight. Sometimes I'm teaching you on the journey. 1 John 4, 4 says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, the devil and all the demons and all the nastiness of the world. And you've overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul had pled with God three times, please, 
please, please take this thorn from my flesh. We don't know what it was. We don't know what kind of physical ailment or what he was dealing with. But God said no. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Some of you need to be reminded of that today, that he will make your feet like the deer's feet. Some of your translations say hind's feet. It's like the feet of a sure-footed deer being strong and agile. There's beauty and speed, and those feet quickly take that animal from danger. My hunters, you know what next weekend is, right? Praise God. Archery season in Tennessee opens up. And I've hunted so many deer in my life, I've never thought once, I'm just going to run him down. I'm just going to jump on him like Rambo. I'm going to get him. Never. Not even a little one. Why? Because they would make me look foolish. God has given them feet that can take them over and through and away from the danger. And the Bible says that God will make your feet like deer's feet to walk on your high heels. Not high heels like the ladies. I mean high H-I-L-L-S. Over the high hills. If you've seen a deer take a steep incline, it is quite a sight. I wouldn't even believe some of the things that deer can do if I had not seen it for myself. Or pronghorn or those types and some of the gazelles that Habakkuk would have been familiar with. It is incredible what they can scale. You see, weak preaching and weak, weak teaching says that God's always going to take that away. The truth is sometimes God may take it away, and other times he gives you the feet to get up and over it. That's the reality. Our first church, we had a, a youth pastor that was a little older for a youth pastor. I think he was in his mid to upper 40s at this time. Wonderful man of God. John and Diane, his wife, they had served our church faithfully. We didn't have any kids anywhere near that age. In fact, we just had uh, Heather at the time. But John came into a VBS meeting. We were planning. We were leading VBS. And he came in, and he wasn't his usual happy chipper self. When we got to the bottom of what John was dealing with. He gave me permission to share this. And <clears throat> John had been diagnosed with uh, cancer. A melanoma in his back was very, very severe that they had found that day. They were talking about all the courses of treatment. John was a business owner. He owned a, a moving company, and he worked at the church, and so he was very, very busy. And John started going through treatments, really radical stuff that made him super sick. His wife, Diane, said he would sleep about 20 hours a day. Things weren't working. Things weren't getting better. The doctor gave him a choice. And they prayed about it, and he really felt like his treatment was killing him. And so he said, I'm just going to try... I'm going to go a different route. I'm not going to do some of these radical therapies. And I'm not at all offering you medical advice. I'm telling you John's story. But he decided that he was going to get off of some of the stuff they were giving him. And here's the deal. Our pastor asked him to write. I was an associate at the time. Our pastor asked him to write a letter for our, uh, uh, an article for our newsletter. And said, just talk, talk to the people about why you've made your decision. I know that they're praying for you. They've been praying through the chemo and all this other stuff. And so this is part of his article that I'm going to quote. I told Diane that I was going to trust God regardless of what happens. In him I'm safe and secure. There's no way I can lose with him on my side. He's everything. He's in control and knows the very situation. He'll not put on us more than we can bear and will never leave us or forsake us. He sticketh closer than a brother, a very present help in time of trouble. He loves and he cares. Listen to this. I realize that I'll not be going anywhere till he calls for me. I will give the Lord Jesus praise for all. 
Now, this is 20 years ago, folks, but how in the world could Brother John write all that in the midst of the battle of his life and for his life? Because of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he said, I've learned to trust in the Lord. Because of Isaiah 40, 31, I've learned to have strength. Because of Proverbs 133, in him I'm safe and secure. Because of 1 Corinthians 15, 57, I can't lose with Jesus. Because of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he'll never put on us more than we can bear. Because of Hebrews 13, 5, he'll never leave nor forsake us. Because of Proverbs 8, 24, he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Because of Psalm 46, 1, he's a very present help in time of trouble. Because of John 3, 16, I know God loves me. He gave his son to prove how much he loves me. What John was doing is just what Habakkuk was doing. He's just quoting from the word of God. And the more you know the word of God, the better you're equipped to handle the problems of life. That's just the truth. The more you let the word of God saturate your spirit, your mind, not only does it keep you from sin, it keeps you close to the Lord and the source of strength. God has given you the resources to overcome all your problems. And by the way, John is still, 20 years later, doing very well as he conquered that cancer and trusted the Lord through it all. Again, that's not a piece of medical advice. That's a testimony from a dear brother and a friend. And I will tell you that John's life was saturated with Scripture. I have another John friend right now in Charleston who's battling cancer. This time it's brain cancer. And I've never seen a guy any more encouraging or inspiring to give the Word of God, to tell people, I'm praying for you. How can I help you today when he's dealing with his own battles? The more you know God's Word, the better equipped you are to handle life's problems. So God helps us to see the reality of our problems, right? Sin affects everyone and everything. God enables us to rejoice through our problems. God has provided us salvation through Christ, and God gives us the resources to overcome all our problems. He is strength. His word is alive. What problems are you facing today? Problems with finances, with children, with spouse, with job, with parents or school, with friends, with drugs, with alcohol, with stress, with busyness, with the internet. We're going to talk about that Wednesday. The fact is, I don't know what you're facing, but God knows. And here's what I know. God wants you to leave your burdens and your problems at the foot of the cross. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's November 1873, Chicago lawyer Horatio G. Spafford took his wife and four daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie, took them to New York, and he boarded them on a luxurious French liner. The great Chicago fire a little earlier had destroyed everything the Spaffords owned, and Spafford needed to rebuild his practice, their home, and their lives, so he sent his wife and daughters overseas to attend an academy until their lives could be rebuilt in the States. He said goodbye to his family and promised to join them later in France. During the early dark hours of November the 22nd, 1873, as their large French liner glided over the sea, the passengers were suddenly thrown from their bunks as the ship collided with an iron sailing vessel. Screams and prayers merged into a nightmare of unmeasured terror. Loved ones fell from one another's grasp and disappeared into the foaming blackness of the North Atlantic Ocean. Within two hours, that mighty French ship vanished beneath the dark waters. The 226 fatalities that night included Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie. 
Mrs. Spafford was found nearly unconscious, clinging to a piece of ship wreckage. And nine days later, when the survivors landed in Wales, she cabled her husband with these words, Saved alone. Horatio Spafford immediately booked passage to join his wife. And on the way over on a cold December night, the captain called him aside and said, Sir, I believe we're now passing over the place where your family's ship went down. And standing there over the watery grave of his four precious daughters, Spafford penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my I'm not there yet. If my four kids went like that, I'm not sure I'm strong enough in my faith and pray to the Lord that I'm never tested in that way. But I'm not so sure I could proclaim it is well. It is well with my soul. I believe the third verse of that incredible hymn, I believe my favorite in all of hymnody. The third verse may be the greatest ever penned. I have a copy of the original sheet where Spafford penned the words. It's in my office. It's hanging in a frame. Someone got it for me in the Holy Land, a copy of that original writing. And that third verse just blows my mind. He says, my sin, all the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, it is well with my soul. You see, some of you, maybe you can't yet praise God with your problems because you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation through his son Christ. And I would tell you that now is the accepted time. I would tell you that today is the day of salvation. Of course you can't praise God because you think this is all there is. But I'm telling you, none of your problems matter a million years from now. Most of them won't matter next week. And so you got to trust Christ as Savior. And for those of us that are brothers and sisters in Christ, will you leave your burdens with the Lord? Decide now to trust him in the good and in the bad, through the darkest valley and on top of the mountain. Learn with me to praise through problems. Stand with me this morning, church. Listen, the invitation's real straightforward. It's one thing today. As uh, my baby girl comes over to the piano, listen, the invitation, if you've got a burden, a problem, a care, or a concern, come and leave it with the Lord. Come to the holy altar in this holy place on this holy day before a holy God and just lay it down and don't pick it up. And you say, yeah, but wait, if I go up there, people are going to know I have problems. Newsflash, Bubba, they already know you've got problems because they do too. 
So whatever it is, you say, well, I'm doing good, but such and such is hurting my child, my coworker, my neighbor. Then would you come as an intercessor for them? It's a beautiful picture to see the people of God on their face before the Lord saying, God, here it is. Here it is. I need your peace. I need it. It surpasses all understanding. And I'm going to leave this with you so that I can stand up and go forth and say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Heavenly Father, I pray that people would come and leave it with you. Leave the burden. Some, you have answered prayer as of late, and they need to come and pray and praise and say, God, thank you. I don't know how Horatio Spafford penned the words that he penned. And I know by penning those words, it wasn't as though he carried no grief. But God, I know if Spafford could say, it is well with my soul, and if Job could lose everything he had, including ten children, and still say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm not there yet. So I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to praise. Even in the midst of the storm. I believe somebody needs to do likewise. May they feel so led to come now to lay it the foot of Calvary's cross, never to pick it up again. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen.